All right, if you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Joshua chapter 7. Joshua 7 is where we'll be today. Now, Joshua 7 is a long chapter, and it is a dark chapter. <clears throat> Not much fun in Joshua 7, because Joshua 6 is a wonderful victory. Joshua 7, one man's sin affects the entire people, and there is a, it's just a terrible chapter. I've broken it up uh, into three, uh, two or three sections. We're going to just get into verse 5 today. Here's the sin of Achan that is affected all of Israel, and you see so many of the effects of sin just in the first five verses. So we'll preach it this week. We'll probably come again next week to Joshua 7, and if we're not too depressed, we'll go one more week in Joshua 7. We'll see how it works out uh, this week and next week. All right, if you found it, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. Joshua chapter 7. Now, if you found 7 verse 1, let, let's back up one verse in the, ver in the chapter 6 verse 27, and that's where I'm going to start. Now, you're going to need to keep your Bible open and stay there because we're going to be in the story a whole lot, and I want you to actually see with your own eyes and your own Bible what it is I'm talking about. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's begin now in verse 27. <clears throat> so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied it out. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Join me as we pray. Father in heaven, I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of your Son, Jesus, that you would speak to your people through your word. God, I pray you would strengthen our students, that their souls would be encouraged and challenged. Father, I pray that you would bring a real sense of conviction over sin. God, I pray you would call people to yourself. I pray that you would bring healing to those that have soul wounds. God, I pray that today you help me to stay close to the Bible. Help me to stay close to it. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In 312 A.D., that's 312 A.D., 312 A.D., a Roman general named Constantine faced his toughest battle. He was a famous Roman general, and it was a civil war. 
If you know anything about Rome, you know that by 312, Christianity had been persecuted, it had been scandalized, it had been looked down upon, it was not thought well of. Constantine, on the eve of battle, as he looked out at the starry night, thinking about the next day's efforts, there in the sky, something happened. Saw a vision and heard a voice. The vision that he saw was a cross blazing across the sky, and the voice he heard said, In this sign, conquer. So immediately that night and on to the next morning, he took all of his soldiers, took their shields, and emblazoned a cross on all of the shields of the soldiers. And the next day, as he marched into battle, he routed his enemy there at the famous battle of the Milvan Bridge. After winning that battle, he crossed the Tiber, went into Rome, and was crowned emperor. And immediately, he legalized Christianity. We know it as the Edict of Milan. And some would say, especially Christian historians, some would say that is the most important battle in Christian history. If you go deeper into Christian history and the history of God's people here in our story, we've just come off maybe a battle that's even greater because God alone is the one who fought it. I mean, think about Joshua chapter 6. In the long history of God's people, has there ever been a military campaign that was more dependent on the Lord and God intervening? All the army did was walk around that city. God's the one who knocked the walls down. I mean, you read the story in chapter 6 and you, you watch God give this monumental victory to Israel in the taking of Jericho. And then chapter 6, we just read it in verse 27, it ends on this high note that the fame of Joshua, God's with him, the fame of Joshua is in all the land. Chapter 7, verse 1. It all comes crashing down. We find out that the positive state of affairs, when everything was going great, when they just got off this wonderful high, quickly shattered by one person's sin. Isn't that, isn't that how it goes? You can't in your mind be sitting on the beautiful beach of peace and one, one person's sin, maybe your own sin, creates this ripple that causes a tsunami of pain that seems to wreck everything. Now this chapter in front of us, chapter 7, <clears throat> and this sermon today is not for the faint of heart. But, but if we will look clearly and deeply and think deeply about sin and its effect, I think, I think we can be warned by God's wrath. I think we can then be encouraged by God's grace. So here's what I want to do. I want to approach it just a little bit differently than I normally do. Here's what I'd like to do. 
I'd like to walk slowly through the passage, adding comment as we go. And just pointing out some things as we go, like a tour guide. I'm just going to walk back through it, uh, almost like a running commentary. After doing that, I'm going to make a statement as to what I think this is about. And I want to come back, make a few points of application about the effects of sin. And then I'd like to end with the gospel. Let's go to the story in chapter 6, verse 27. Join me there. You follow along as I read it. Verse 27, the Lord was with Joshua. Don't you remember God said he would be with you? I will be strong and courageous. I will be with you. God was with Joshua. And the text says that that the fame of Joshua went all through the land. Not just the fame of Joshua. It would be the fame of God. What they knew about Joshua was his God. It was a wonderful thing. Chapter 7, verse 1, but there's a contrast coming. Something has happened. But the people of Israel broke faith. I would circle that phrase, broke faith. We don't see that much. It has some very peculiar meanings. Broke faith in regard to the devoted thing. You remember what that is, right? Chapter 6, over there in verse 18, if you want to look across the page there, God told them when you go up into Jericho, the walls have fallen flat. Everything is mine. Kill it all, all of it. Do not touch any of the devoted things. We find out in verse 1, that the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, one man, Achan, his name means troubler. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. Why are all those names mentioned? We'll come back. He took some of the devoted things and the narrator tells us the anger of the Lord burned. It literally is his face is on fire in front of the people. A terrible, terrible thing. So the narrator has given us the backstory. He said, okay, I'm telling you why things are going to go so terribly in the next part of this story. Because the anger of the Lord is burning against Israel. Now, here comes the rest of the story. These people don't know that the anger of the Lord is burning against them. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Beth-El, and he said to them, Go up, spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua. I mean, that's nothing new. Moses did that in the Promised Land. Joshua did it in Joshua chapter 2. Go and spy out Jericho. This is the way you do things. Doing the same thing that they have always done. And they returned to Joshua, verse 3, and they said to Joshua, Don't have all the people go up. Just send two or 3,000 of them up. Don't, don't make them toil. It shouldn't be that hard. They're not that very many. The people in AI are few. We can take them. Listen to the brevity in verse 4. It's clipped sayings. Doesn't give us much detail, verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people and they fled. Hear the language. They fled before the men of Ai, and the men of Ai killed about 36 of the men, and they chased them before the gate as far as the Shabarim and struck them at the descent. And look at the effect of the people. They hadn't seen anything like this. It was such a victory in Jericho, and the hearts of the people melted, became like water. Six. Six verses. In just six verses, sin has changed everything. Now look at me. All of you that are 
that are flirting with something, some sort of sin you're thinking about or you're on the edge of going into some, or, 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 or you're in the middle of something. I want you to hear from this story that it's, it's sin. Sin, it ruins us and our families. I want you to think deeply about that sin. Sin ruins us and our families. So let's go back to the story. We're going to be the tour guide again. Let's go back to the story. Let's just pick up. Let's pick up some things we can learn from this, just these five or six verses. Here's the first one, number one. Sin stains. Be careful if you, if you fall off. Into, sin stains our previous victories. Maybe up to this point you've been a pretty good guy, you've lived a good life, and all of those things, you've built a bit of a reputation of being a good person, and one of those sins. I mean, right, chapter 6 doesn't it end. Chapter 6 ends with this wonderful celebration. God had given the command, the people were obedient, and then God delivered them miraculously. It worked. It's the way it's supposed to work. And that entire celebration in Joshua 6, verse 27, comes crashing down by that one word in verse 1. It's the word, but. See it? That word changes everything in the course of a conversation. If you're having a conversation, that word can change everything. Let me see if I can illustrate it. That's a nice car, but it doesn't have an engine. Okay, so maybe that's not strong enough. Let's see if I can put it another way. She's a pretty girl, but she's an axe murderer. <laughs> see, see how the word can change the direction of the whole? So he's, he's a great guy, but he can't keep a job and he hates his mother. You see how that can turn the corner? So what you have here in verse 27, chapter 6, is everything is great, but. Now look, this is not but God. You have but God in Ephesians where Paul is laying out the effects of sin, and then he tells us here's what God does, but God, being rich in mercy. This is not even but if not, where the Hebrew children cry out and say, even if God doesn't deliver, this is not any of those, this is just but. That right there wipes away from memory all the previous ground, all the previous ground gained, all the previous good up to this point. One of my very favorite living preachers, living preachers, and maybe the best preacher that Baptists have ever produced, gone down in infamy because of this one word, but. He's a great preacher, but he's unfaithful to his wife. Now, I would just offer this up as a warning. I just would offer it up as a warning. All the, all the talent, all the success, all the charisma, all of the ability, all of the charm in the world can never replace a striving for holiness can never compensate for a rebellious life 
You see what sin does? Sin stains all the previous victories. I'm going to give you something else to consider as you look at this story. Here's the second thing that sin does. Number two, sin, when it comes, sin makes us practical atheists. Practical atheists. Now, here, here uh, when you look at the sin of Achan in verse 1, the way that the sin of Achan is described, you can take a look at it, is that um, he broke faith. And not just he. Verse 1 says that the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. Broke faith. That's an odd phrase. You don't see it all over the place, but when you do in the Old Testament, it normally is speaking of two things. It could be idolatry or it could be adultery. It could be idolatry against God or it could be adultery against a mate. Either way, you, you bring that into this right here and the way it's described is that something has happened. That the people of Israel have betrayed a trust and they've done so in pursuing some other object of affection. It, it's the idea of, of loving something or someone more than you actually love God. In addition to that, keep looking at it. Uh, notice the expedition in verses 2, 3, and maybe 4. Notice how the expedition is described there in verse 2. Let, let me read it to you. <clears throat> Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and he said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. It's, this is, Moses did it, Joshua did it before. This is regular activity. And they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they, Ai, they are few. You see what's going on here? They, they did all the things that they normally would do, did all the things that they did before, but you never once hear God mentioned in this passage. God is strangely absent in the narration of what happened at Ai. You see, Joshua sent the spies just like he'd done before. He learned it from Moses. It worked in Jericho. We'll just do the same thing we've done before. The spies go up there. They give an optimistic report. And when you look at their report in verse 3 and 4, if you think about what they've said and you remember the report of the spies in Jericho in chapter 2, those spies had confidence that God would deliver them. These spies had confidence in their own ability. Their confidence wasn't in the Lord. They'd forgotten that they'd just come off Jericho. That victory was God doing it. Now they presumed they could do it. I mean, my goodness, the Lord didn't even get an honorable mention in this expedition. Pride and, pride and presumption, thinking you can do it. Pride and presumption go hand in hand to keep us in sin. I mean, it's, it's what, brother or sister in Jesus, listen, I'm talking to mostly Christians today. It's, it's what sin does to us. It, it blinds our, sin blinds our eyes and stops our ears and all too often opens our mouths. How much of it, how much of your 
A lot of us are very busy people. How much of your everyday life is lived in the awareness of God? Do you think of God? Do you, do you think about God? Or do you thank God? Do, do you consider, let's talk to Christian. When you're a Christian, let's, do you consider what it took to save you and forgive you? And you, you think about the cross of Jesus. Do you think about Him taking on your sin you think about God loving you even though you don't deserve it and yet has forgiven and, and cleansed you in, in Jesus. You see, if you're not careful, if you're not careful, this is what sin does to us. Sin can become this, uh, you're familiar with waterproof, sin can become this sort of sealant that keeps us from absorbing the living water that is Christ. You see what sin does? I'm giving you two things so far. Sin... Uh, stains those previous victories. Number two, sin makes us practical atheists. That is to say that, uh, that, that we live as if God doesn't exist. And I'll give you a, a third one here. Number, two, number, number three, sin, live long enough you find this out, sin can create, can create lasting shame. Shame. This, this is a warning. Students, I'm glad you're sitting together and can hear it. This is, this is just a warning for you to hear. <clears throat> they, can, they can create lasting shame. There's something strange in verse 1. When we're introduced to this, this one man, um, Achan, there in verse 1, we're not told here, but all throughout the Bible, you see Achan's name, and he's always called the troubler of Israel. How would you like that to be your name? The troubler. Achan is a troublemaker. Not only that, when you look at verse 1, you see something that is unusual. Read the genealogy in verse 1. You see Achan, who is the son of Carmi, who is the son of Zabdi, who is the son of Zerah, who is from Judah. There is not another person in the entire book of Joshua that is introduced like that. It's, it's as if the writer is saying his sin has affected his dad, his granddad, his grand, great-grandfather, all the way back. It's like the writer's telling us, you see what this has done to his family name. No, notice something else. There in, in verse 1, you probably already saw it and thought, that seems odd to me. But notice the mention of Israel there in verse 1. But the people of, of Israel broke faith. One man sinned, but now everybody's included in it. You get down to the bottom. And the anger of the Lord didn't just burn against Achan, I don't have a full explanation for this. The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. You understand, right, that one man's sin has affected all of those people. We, we never don't think you're just not hurting anybody, you're doing your own thing. We never sin just to ourselves. It, it always has effects. It always has Ripples. It always has dangers for those around us. It always has trouble for other people. There are things for us to consider when we're being tempted. All of us here will be subject to temptation. I may have heard this from John Piper. I can't remember. I think I heard John Piper say that, that when we think about sin, when we're tempted, we should, we should think through the effects. We should think a couple of steps down the road. We should think, okay, if I get on this road, where is this going to take me? Where does it end? What are the consequences? 
sobbing children, broken family, lost job. You know, this is what Satan does. He hides consequences. And these consequences, they're always, always unintended consequences. How many times have I sat with someone that was, had been in sin and then convicted of that sin and broken over it? How many times have I heard that person say, I never meant to hurt anybody? See, it always has unintended consequences. Keep going down. Keep, keep, stay here now. I know it's uncomfortable. Keep, keep going with me. Number four, here's the fourth thing, is that sin strips us. Sin strips us of moral confidence. I want you to come down the page a little bit and, and join me down there at verse 5 and look at the people. Look how the, the people have reacted, okay? So the Joshua sent the spies to Ai. They spied out the land, sent up the troops. The troops come up. The people are absolutely defeated in verses 3 and 4. And then verse 5, look how they reacted. And the hearts of the people melted and they became like water. Now, if you've read this story, that sounds a little bit familiar. If you remember, when the spies met Rahab, the prostitute there in Jericho, and she found out who they were, she said, the hearts of our people here in Jericho have melted. They're like water. That's what the pagans felt. Or, or in chapter 5, verse 1, when the narrator is telling us about the kings of the Amorites and the kings of the Canaanites, he, here's what he says. Their reaction, when they hear about God and Israel, their reaction is that their hearts melted and became like water. You, you understand that, that because of sin, now the shoe is on the other foot. Now God's people are acting like God's enemies. Now the Israelites ended up feeling just like the Canaanites. They're claiming to be Israelites, but living like Canaanites. And now they have no real moral ground to stand on because they are not any better than anybody else. I think this, um, I think there's something to this. I think that this is a big reason many of us don't confront a brother or sister in Christ. I think that a lot of us, because we know our own sin, because we, maybe even our sin has been exposed, I think we will have the tendency to say something like, who am I to judge? Which is not a bad posture. That's a good posture to be in because you're a recipient of God's grace and you're no better than anyone else. That's a fine posture to be in, but you can't stop there. Oftentimes we'll use what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 when he's speaking to the hypocrites that are always picking out everybody else's sin and he says to them, uh, before you go to get the speck in your brother's eye, you need to remove the plank in your eye. How can you get the speck out when you got a board in your eye? And, and so many people think, I've got a plank in my eye, I can't really go get the speck. But if you go back and read that, what Jesus is saying is, first, get the plank out of your eye. Certainly deal with your own sin. Go to the cross there. Be forgiven of your sin and cleansed of it. Confess your sins to God, whatever they are. Confess them that's done, then, Jesus says, then you can go and get the speck. By all means, get the log out of your eyes, but go and get the speck. 
You, you understand that unconfessed sin, we have sin in our lives, and it's, when, when we have that kind of unconfessed sin, it strips us of moral confidence. But I think worst of all of this that I've kind of given you so far today, save the worst for the last, that is number five, sin. It condemns us. Go, go back with me to verse one. You probably already saw it. And read there in verse one. I would circle it. Read that. And the anger, what a terrible thing. The anger of the Lord burned against the people of God. What a terrible thing to actually be on the receiving end of God's unmitigated anger. Look, and some of you might say, okay, that's the God of the Old Testament, but it's all grace in the New Testament. Well, the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, 29, that our God is a consuming fire. This passage right here, it, um, it is echoed in the Apostle Paul in his writing in the book of Romans. You should go back and read the book of Romans again. We went through it a couple of years. You should, you should go back and read it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, Paul tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven and it is against all ungodliness. There's condemnation. That is the valley of trouble. You, you hear, right? Sin, it ruins us. It ruins our families. Sin stains a previous, otherwise good life. Sin makes us practical atheists saying we believe in God, but not really living for God. Sin oftentimes will create this lasting shame generation to generation. Sin strips us of any moral confidence. But worst of all, it's condemnation. Sin condemns us before God. But that's not the end of the story, is it? Paul tells us that if you're in Christ, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How do you get into Christ Jesus? You ready for the gospel? Here comes the gospel. We've looked at sin long enough. Let's turn our heads over to the gospel. The gospel is like this. God is a holy creator, a holy and good creator, who created everything and everyone, all of you. He created me, he created you. We all have dignity because we have the image of God. We're created in the image of God. You, you have inherent dignity because of the image of God. That image, however, of God has been disfigured by our sin. Sin crept in with Adam and Eve at the fall. You can read about that in Genesis 2 and 3. And ever since the children of Adam and Eve, that's us, we were born with a sinful nature, a tendency towards sin, and then we actually commit sin. So two things working against us, our sinful nature and our sinful ways. That sin is such that it separates us from God. In fact, we just read it today that what it does is it makes the Lord angry. He burns with anger because of sin. That's a problem. Because that means we can't actually know God, can't be close to God, can't depend on God. We actually are the enemies of God. But God, being all love, has given us His Son, Jesus. Here comes Christianity. Jesus, who is all God and all man, 
lived a perfect life on earth. That's important because he did that in our place. He earned righteousness. What that means is he, he kept the law of God in your place. And the great transaction happens at the cross there, at the cross of Jesus. Go back and read Romans 8. The Bible tells us that he who knew no sin became sin. So, so all of your sin, the, the wrath of God here, it all is, is poured out on Jesus. He gets wrath because of our sin. We get forgiveness because of His righteousness. When you turn from your sin and believe, you see, sin condemns us before God and the gospel saves us to God. I've told you this morning, sin stains, whatever previous, it's, sin stains it and the cross of Jesus removes, removes the stain of sin. Sin makes us practical atheists. And the cross of Jesus there restores our faith and it heals our souls and it makes us able to face what we've got to face. Sin creates shame and fingers pointed and you're a sinner and the cross of Jesus takes every bit of that. Don't, don't live your life in shame. Your sin has been forgiven at the cross of Jesus. Sin strips us of any moral confidence. We walk around thinking, who am I to say? And the cross gives us the righteousness of Christ. Sin condemns. And the cross says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You join me as we pray. With your heads bowed this morning, as we go into a moment of prayer and reflection, <clears throat> there are many brothers and sisters in Jesus that are carrying around guilt that has been paid for. It's already, it's already been forgiven. And maybe this morning you need to just when we sing, just come forward and kneel here and just pray at the altar. You don't have to pray with anybody. You just pray by yourself if you'd like. Or maybe you'd like to come and have a pastor pray with you. You'll see our pastors are down front. They'll be here waiting on if you want somebody to pray with you. If you want to talk about what it means to be a Christian, you've heard the gospel at the end of this sermon. Where does sin take us? It takes us to the cross of Jesus. To, to pray about what it means to give your life to Christ. Maybe God is calling you. You've got students here. Maybe God is calling you to to serve the Lord in missions or in ministry. You just came off a great week. Maybe you just want to dedicate your life to serving the Lord in some, some capacity. We want to be a church that preaches that although sin condemns in Jesus, there is no condemnation. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus to speak to your people, draw them close, heal wounds, Help us see the grace found at the cross. Let us live in that grace. Father, I pray you would make us strong and healthy for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray.